We'll turn back to that portion of scripture that we read together uh, to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6. We're continuing in our thoughts upon the Sermon on the Mount and uh, we are consider here a part of this. That second part there in verse 5 through to the end of verse verse 15 uh, concerning prayer. And we said last Lord's Day that we would return to consider the Lord's Prayer. We're going to consider a little bit more than that, uh, but we trust the Lord's blessing will be upon our meditations this morning. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Our Father, we give thanks that we are able to come before thee. We pray, Lord, for thy touch. We pray, Lord, that you would stir us by your spirit within our hearts. Lord, that you would touch the very being of our hearts, that our desires might be stirred up after thee, we might recognize ourselves and our failings and our weaknesses, that we might strive after masteries, that we might strive after fellowship and blessing in thy presence. We pray, Father, that as we consider the word of God this morning, that these things might be brought to our attention. Lord, so many different things catch our attention in our lives. Lord, the things, the mundane things of life itself, Lord, even in spiritual matters, particular things which stand out from the word betimes, and Lord, we concentrate on them, and we can so easily let other things slip. But Father, we pray that you would speak unto us this day and remind us of that most fundamental of communions with the Lord. Bless us then, we pray, and continue with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to consider with you these words concerning prayer. I want to see them under three heads. I'm not sure if we'll cover all three of them this morning. Uh, that is my purpose because uh, it's really a kind of an over- overview of these things, but we shall see how we go. Uh, so first of all, I want to begin with the dichotomy of prayer. That is the two parts or the two elements of prayer. And then the design of prayer in which we will consider the uh, construction of the Lord's Prayer as it is known to us, our Father which art in heaven. And then finally the distinction in prayer, that is the distinction in this prayer in particular, uh, but also uh, in our prayers before the Lord. So when we think about the dichotomy of prayer, these two parts of prayer, we have two parts of prayer here in this portion of scripture. There is the prayer of the closet and there is the prayer of the community. And interestingly enough, and just to put this in there uh, so that you are aware of it, in the authorised version we can see a difference between these two prayers. And because we see in verse, uh, verse 6 that it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Uh, All of those pronouns there are in the singular. And, of course, in modern English, we don't have a singular and a plural in our pronouns. Uh, But in the authorised version, there is a singular and a pronoun. And the thous and these and the thys are all singular. So here Christ is speaking to individuals and he is picking them out. Now, they're still in a crowd, uh, as we will see. But nevertheless, he picks them out and he is speaking directly to people's hearts. And that's an important thing, 
uh, and something which is lost these days, uh, that the word of God seems to be spoken to us directly, uh, to you as an individual, rather than just to the crowd of which you are a part. And so then also when we come on to uh, verse 7, Jesus changes and he says, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now he is speaking to the crowd and he is speaking to them and goes on in verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. And that seems to me to be a prayer of the community. Here is the gathering together for prayer uh, so that we can pray together uh, with a, a, a design within that prayer. And we, uh, I seek to bring forth uh, the differences in those kinds of prayers here this morning. So beginning with the prayer of the closet then, these words that we read, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, that is to everyone, notice the you, not the thee, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut thy door pray to thy father which is in secret and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly so the hypocrites uh, they they're not really praying to god they're praying for effect and we have to be careful of that of course in all of our prayer that we're not praying for effect and the greatest way of not praying for effect is to be praying alone If you're praying alone and you've gone in, as the Lord says, into that closed place or indeed into an open space where uh, you can speak openly and no one can hear what you're saying uh, in that position, we're not doing it for effect because nobody sees what we're doing. Nobody knows what we're doing. There are uh, many places that we could go. I suppose you could go into an open space, into a park or somewhere and just walk and talk to the Lord. Uh, often uh, I would pray while I'm uh, I'm uh, driving, and uh, that's the, a, an important pl- place as well. Because uh, if you're driving alone in the car and there's no one there, you're alone with the Lord. You're only speaking to the Lord. Nobody else knows what you're doing, uh, but you are just speaking to the Lord. Uh, but that's important, as one said in the past, to remember that exaltation of the Scripture to watch and pray. Uh, So if you're talking while you're driving, then uh, please watch the road as well at the same time. Don't close your eyes. Put your hands together. That wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, But we uh, can pray in the car or perhaps there's a room in the house or when other people uh, go out or perhaps uh, down the garden or whatever place you can find where you are alone with God. That is to go into the closet. That is to close the door. And though you may be in the middle of a park, yet nevertheless the door is closed because no one can hear what you say. You don't pray to God in those situations for the effect which it might have on others. And so this private prayer is a very important aspect of prayer. And I want to say to you, first of all, that concerning the prayer of the closet, that it is personal. It is personal. It is your prayer. It's not for the consumption of anybody else. There are times, of course, uh, which you may uh, recollect to yourself or may even participate in uh, in prayer meetings where people start preaching and perhaps they have some, uh, some hobby horse upon which to, to ride and they have things to say to other people in the prayer meeting. And some, like the hypocrites who are spoken of here, standing on the street corners, uh, in the corners of the streets and, uh, and in the synagogues, standing in the synagogues, are praying for effect. Look how good my prayer is. 
course, this works backwards sometimes. And we might say, well, I don't want to pray because I know that I can put together a prayer. And that's not really a prayer. And I'm afraid that I'm going to be uh, showing off in what I can say rather than actually speaking to God. So I'll just be quiet and uh, I'll, I'll pray in my mind and in my, in my own heart in the presence but there is no encouragement and neither is there any joining together with others who are perhaps unable or don't really know how to pray there, there is no effect then for them that they might learn how to pray there is no effect in them that they might have new things to pray about or aspects of prayer which they have forgotten about and so there is a loss there but in this closet prayer this is a place where it is personal Here is a place that you can tell the Lord anything, anything. You know, sometimes we can come into the place of prayer and perhaps there is something in our life we are ashamed of uh, to even utter before the Lord. And uh, the the Apostle Paul in Ephesians speaks in that uh, fourth fourth chapter, fifth chapter, uh, about things which uh, it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And perhaps we have been a part of something like that that we are ashamed of. We don't want to tell anybody else. Nobody else knows about that aspect of our life. There are things which we have said or there are things that we have done or there are shames that have come upon us and we don't want anybody else to know. In a prayer meeting, we would nutter them. But this is personal. This is coming before our Father in heaven who knows all things already. And just as he says uh, here that the Father knoweth the things that ye have need of before ye ask him, in verse 8, so the Lord also knows about every sin, every doubt, every fear, every trouble, every iniquity which we have ever uh, uh, been involved in or that has ever entered into our minds and there is nothing that you can say to the Lord that he doesn't know. He is the closest of all friends. There may be things that even your closest uh, friends don't know about you. And people have all kinds of things which they would rather forget. And they set them aside, but sometimes they come back uh, to their own minds and they wouldn't utter them to anybody else, but we can utter them to God. Here it is personal. And our, our communion with him can be about everything, anything. Even the most unclean things in the world. There is nothing that God has not seen. There is nothing that God does not know about. And he would rather that we spoke to him about them. It's personal. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. You know, sometimes uh, uh, when we think about this private prayer... It is an important thing because there enter things into our minds which we wouldn't want to utter and, and discourage others. Uh, the psalmist writes some things which might seem to us to be discouraging. And if, if people were gathered together with him in a prayer meeting and he was praying uh, words like, for instance, uh, Psalm 13 and verse 1, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Maybe he wouldn't want to utter that in case he discouraged others. And there are sometimes our doubts and our fears and God has not answered the prayer in which we, uh, we thought that he would. And uh, things are not the way that we think they ought to be. And uh, perhaps there are doubts that so maybe I'm not even saved. Maybe the Lord doesn't, has never actually spoken to me. And things that we might want to pour out before the Lord which we wouldn't do in a public place. 
we would be ashamed to say in the presence of others the things that we can say to the Lord. But the place of this closet prayer is the place that we can now pour all of these things. And it is a place also uh, where we can come into the presence of the Lord and just talk. Just talk. Uh, we uh, would seek to encourage those who come to a prayer meeting sometimes and say, well, you don't have to have any particular way of praying. Just talk. Just talk to the Lord. And you may be afraid to do so in the company of others. There may be some there who have been in prayer meetings all their lives. And they know what the jargon is and they know how to construct sentences and they know how to go through different things and, and perhaps they're just naturally able to speak. And someone might come in and say, well, I can't speak. Someone like Moses, for instance, who said to the Lord, I can't speak. And God gave him Aaron to go and to speak for him. But of course, Moses could speak. Of course he could. But he didn't want to do so. Didn't want to do so. But in the place which is closed in, or that open space where no one else is, where, like Jesus, we go up into the mountainside or out into the wilderness and we just talk to God. Talk to God. Talk to God in the way that we would talk to anyone. But talk to God about things that perhaps you wouldn't talk to God to anyone about. It's a personal place. It's a private place. It's all about the things which you're able to speak to him about. We don't have to use forms. We don't have to use clever words. Sometimes it's just the sigh of our hearts. We remember those words of, of uh, Romans 8 where it says that the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Groanings. Uh, David speaks about watering his bed with tears. And there in that quiet place, in that secret place, he pours out his heart before God. This is the place of prayer. This is the prayer of the closet. But sadly, it is a, it is a place which so few seem to inhabit. We find it very hard to come aside. You know, there are some who will attend a prayer meeting, and uh, we know that in time past, prayer meetings have been attended by some who, well... We wouldn't miss the prayer meeting. The yeah, prayer meeting is there. It's on a certain date. It's at a certain time. and we, we're, we're there every week. And even if we don't feel like going, I remember uh, when, uh, when I was a, a young man in my teens and the prayer meeting was on uh, in the church. It would have been in Hounslow in those days. And I didn't want to go. I, I just didn't want to go. So I would sit on and watch a watch something on television, I suppose, uh, and couldn't be bothered to get up and go out uh, to go to the prayer meeting. And as my mum and dad were going, leaving, going to the prayer meeting, my mum would stick her head around the door and she'd say to me uh, in, uh, in lowered tones, the devil's got you. <laughs> and many a time when she uttered those words, I would think, oh, I suppose I better go. So it must have been late teens because I was driving... So I was probably 17 or so. And so I'd get up and I'd turn off the television and I'd go to the prayer meeting. And I'd benefit from being there. Because there is a benefit to being in the place of Christians and in the place of prayer. And we sometimes need that goad to get us to, to move. And it's not a bad thing just to turn up at the prayer meeting because it's on. And you may not feel like praying. 
But it's when we don't feel like praying, that's when we really need to be praying. And the prayer meeting is a time when we can meet together. But what about this private prayer when we don't feel like praying? Do we set aside a time? There's no one making us do it. There's no one to discipline us. There's no one that we answer to. It is between us and the Lord. And yet really it is a a great uh, marker of, of our spirituality before God, isn't it? How much time do we actually spend alone with God? How much time do we spend in his presence where there's nobody there to hear us, where there is nothing to say but that which is actually upon our hearts? How many times perhaps in the place of prayer in that closet we have knelt down maybe by our bed and put our heads upon our hands to begin to pray and then wake up sometime later because we fell asleep. That happens too. That's why it's a good thing, if we can, to to go to the open space and to walk, to pray while we're driving, to pray while we're walking. Even if you have a, a room and there's nobody in the house, to walk up and down the living room, walk up and down the kitchen, walk up and down the hall. It depends how big your house is, I suppose, as to how much walking you can do. But walk and talk to the Lord. But how important it is that we talk to the Lord. And this, I would suggest to you, is the greatest marker of our spirituality and our closeness to the Lord. We can look on the outside to be the greatest of Christians because we're always in the house of God for the services on the Lord's Day. And we're always at the prayer meeting and other things which are going on. We can be there, too. But there is no private prayer There is no actual communion with God. And how important it is, this prayer of the closet. The Lord says, therefore, go into thy closet and shut the door. Pray to thy Father which is in secret. And then the other thing we can say concerning this is that the prayer of the closet is powerful. Because here we have the promise of Christ himself. The Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And nobody will know, will they? And that's a problem to us, isn't it? Because we would would like people to know that we prayed for this in the private place, in the closet. We talked to God about this and now it's come to pass. But nobody does know. And we might feel ashamed to tell anybody, well, we prayed for this and God's answering prayer. There are some times perhaps where we might think, well, that will encourage people to know that we have prayed for this and God has answered prayer. But the point is that it's a wonderful thing when things come to pass that you have prayed about and nobody knew, apart from the Lord. We have a testimony of George Muller and those who are with him, how that George Muller would pray uh, and he would go and separate himself and he would just call upon the name of God. God answered so many of those prayers. And if you read his his, uh, biography, uh, his autobiography, uh, and and see how that things occurred, there were times when he he had great doubts. There were times when he had great fears that God was not with him, that God was not going to do this or God was not going to do that. But God did come through and God did answer prayer. And all of those needs were supplied and sometimes the answer was no. But nevertheless, his prayers were answered. And others too, great men of prayer, John Hyde, who saw such tremendous things done for the Lord, Men who separated themselves to come before the Lord 
in prayer. But then also, of course, there is this prayer of the community. When ye pray, when ye pray. And now the Lord sets before them a, 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 a form, if you like, a form of prayer. And the, the, the prayer itself is, is uttered by many people, of course. And uh, there are many churches where this prayer would be said every, every Lord's Day. And perhaps in other services too. Our Father, which art in heaven, he even has a name, the Paternoster. And so uh, people would, would utter this prayer. But when we consider this prayer of the community, first of all, there is this communion that we have together, that we can call upon the Lord together, that we can join one another in prayer, that we can say, Amen. For those perhaps who find it hard to pray, or for those who uh, don't have any, any closet prayer and come to the prayer meeting that they might be able to pray with others and let somebody else do the speaking and we'll just bring the amens, how important that is to them, that they might be able to agree with those who they feel can speak or perhaps even to, to, with those who they think are holier than they are in their humility. Not that we are any holier because our holiness is given to us and uh, imputed to us by the Lord. There is none righteous, no, not, no, not one. And we all come upon the same ground, exactly. We're all sinners. Uh, but Christ's redemption, uh, Christ's redemptive power is, is that upon the ground upon which we come. We come in his name. So whether we feel that we are the greatest of sinners or whether we feel that the Lord is really with us and he's going to bless us tonight, we still come at exactly the same level, uh, whether it be the pastor, whether it be a child, whether it be someone who is just recently saved or someone even who uh, is seeking the Lord and is not as yet saved. We all come before God and, uh, and God hears the prayer of his people and we can just utter the amen and how important that is. So in this prayer then, as we see that he says to us that we are not to pray using vain repetitions. Well, we, we think about this, and, and uh, first of all, what a, what a strange thing this is. What an irony. An irony that the vain repetition, which is most, most often used, is this prayer where God says, when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth the things that ye have need of before ye ask him. No vain repetitions. And yet the paternos, the, the, the Lord's prayer, is the vain repetition which is uttered in so many churches. And it used to be in schools as well, of course. In the school assemblies when uh, back in the days where, uh, where Christianity still had some influence, uh, people would pray the Lord's prayer. And the children wouldn't have a clue or notion what it was about. It was just words. And it was a vain repetition because there was no heart. There was no desire. There was no actual worship. There was no consideration. There was no understanding even of what was being said. It was just uttered once, uh, once and again the same old thing and had no effect whatsoever. Except, of course, it had this effect that people knew what the Lord's Prayer were, was. And when the time came that they understood that this is a pattern of prayer, then at least they knew what the pattern of prayer was because they could work through that easily in their minds because they had learned it. But the prayer itself is only of effect if we are actually thinking about what is being said here. 
when we actually comprehend what is being said. And so the irony is that the vain repetitions are brought before the place of prayer, before God, but they're ineffectual without the heart. But then there are also these implications of the Lord's Prayer, these different parts of the Lord's Prayer. I want to look at them very simply and superficially, really, uh, today. Uh, there is much written on the Lord's Prayer, and if you want to uh, look into more of the different parts of the Lord's Prayer, there is much uh, that you can read if you want to uh, go into those things. But first of all, uh, I want to think about the design of this prayer and just see this under, uh, under five headings. Uh, five, the number of grace, that's a good number. So here we have, first of all, the reverence. The reverence, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, our Father. Those are wonderful words, and uh, I could probably wax on uh, for a long, long time on each of the words in this prayer. Uh, I'm going to endeavor not to do so, but remember this, that God is our Father, and he loves us. He's not the Father which so many have known in this world who have no care for their children, a Father, perhaps, who has... uh, uh, seeded a child somewhere in, in uh, a, a woman and then disappeared and has no interest after that. Uh, it, it is not that kind of a father. Here is a father who desires his children. Here is a father who loves his children. Here is a father who nurtures his children. Here is a father who has uh, takes a part in their lives and cares about them. Here is a father who is not just a father by name, but a father in, in action and in every aspect and whose, whose concern is, is continual. He is our father, our father. And also when we consider these words, our father, we recognize that we are all, therefore, his children. We are, there is a communion, there is a community of us. And we can all call him Father. And we are all brothers and sisters because he is our father and he is the head of the household and he is the one to whom we look and he is the one who we reverence. So the reverence, first of all, but then also uh, our father, which art in heaven. And here with the word heaven is in the plural. Uh, So our father, which art in the heavens. And so it is speaking of God who looks down upon us. He is one who has control of all things, who has an overview of the world, an overview of everything which happens, as Solomon would say, under the sun. And he sees all these things. But then he says, hallowed be thy name. Thy name is holy. And that brings us to a reverence in God's presence. That we are to remember who God is. And this can apply whether it be in a public prayer meeting or whether it be in our private prayer meeting. Although we can say anything to the Lord in the private prayer meeting when we are in the closet and when we are speaking to the Lord, nevertheless, we should always remember who God is. That God is not our buddy down the road. That God is holy. That he is righteous. That he is our judge. That he is our king. That he is not as we are. That he is without sin. And that his perfections are so far beyond our comprehension. He is eternal. He is infinite. And yet nevertheless he deigns to hear us. 
And although we may come and consider him to be a friend as well as a father, nevertheless, never lose sight of who God is. Hallowed be thy name. And then we see the relish, secondly, in this prayer. The relish, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This time the word heaven is in singular. And so it's speaking now of perhaps as Paul speaks about being caught up to the third heaven. Speaking about the, the residence of God. God says, do not I fill heaven and earth. But here, we, again, we, we see this, this relish of the kingdom. We, we desire God's kingdom. When we think about a kingdom, usually we're thinking about a, a, a nation, perhaps, like the United Kingdom. So we think about England and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland in the United Kingdom. And we have uh, a queen at this present time, as we've all been reminded of uh, uh, many times this year, uh, in her jubilee year. But we think of that as being the kingdom. The United Kingdom is a place, is a gathering of people. But in actual fact, uh, a kingdom is the dominion of the king. And the, 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 the kingdom is, uh, is the very... Uh, a fact of his presence and his authority over all things and do we relish and desire that the kingdom of of god come the kingdom of our father do we relish him as our king do we relish his laws his commandments do we relish all that he has done and all that he has given do we desire to see those things fulfilled in the earth do we have a heart after the things of God, are we men and women of God's uh, um, like unto God's own heart? Do we have a relish for the kingdom? We are to pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Do we do with the will of God as it is in heaven? Is that our desire? Do we relish the will of God? Do we, do we desire the will of God? Do we know, want to know what the will of God is? Not just so that we know what it is, but that we might be part, a part of it. The Apostle Paul, when he fell down, uh, having heard the voice of Jesus from heaven, says, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? What is thy will? Is that our relish? Do we relish the will of God? Not just that it might be imposed upon everybody else, but are we willing to come under that will. Thirdly, then, the request, give us this day our daily bread. And this really covers all kinds of uh, things in this world. A request is right there in the middle. Uh, that, and very often our prayers, that's what our prayers are. They are requests. And, and that is not the way that this prayer is laid out for us. We are not just to come to God and say, Lord, give me this and give me that and give me this and provide that. And, and that is not what prayer is about. God is not the genie. We don't go with the magic lamp of prayer and polish it and say, uh, give me three wishes. And yet that is how prayer so often is looked upon. And people get uh, annoyed and upset because God doesn't give them their requests. But where was the reverence? And where is the relish for the kingdom of God and God's will? Oh, give us what we want. But we never say to the Lord, Lord, show me what you want so that I might give it. We never say, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, that we should offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy 
acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. How often is that a part of our prayer? How often in the morning do we arise and say, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do today? Lead me into some situation where I may glorify thy name and I might serve thee. The request here then is right in there, in there, in the middle. First of all, we hallow the name of God and we remember who he is. Secondly, we desire that his will will be done. And then our request, give us this day our daily bread, our, our sufficient provision. And whatsoever it may be, whatever it is that we have need of, bring those things before the Lord. And Jesus in particular says here, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of. Those things that we have need of. And of course, later on in this same chapter, uh, we read the, uh, the um, perhaps an expansion of that very thought here, uh, where it says in verse 28, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Is that not a reference back to this very prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Our requests, but let us make our requests known unto God. Let us come before Him, but let us do it in this attitude of reverence and of being the servants of God, His kingdom, His will. Let us bring before Him our needs and let us trust Him to provide what we have need of. And then, after the request, the reverence, and the relish, and the request, the reality. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here is the reality. The reality is that we are sinners. The reality is that even as Jesus gives this prayer and he is saying to us, when we pray to our Father in heaven, remember that he is holy, hallowed be thy name, and we are sinners. Forgive us our debts. And we have many debts before God, debts that we cannot pay. What should a man give in exchange for his soul? And we are praying that the Lord would forgive us our debts. And it goes on to say, and we'll pick this up in just a moment, but as we forgive our debtors, uh, people owe us as we owe God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, the word temptation, as I've often said to you from this pulpit, uh, the word pirasmos in, in Greek is a word which means temptation or trial. They're very, very similar things in actual fact. Uh, trying us is setting temptation before us. 
And uh, uh, temptation itself, of course, as James says, arises within our hearts. And I seek to put this over again and again because circumstances of life can be temptations. One temptation will tempt one person. Another temptation will tempt another person. These are just circumstances. The one can just say, I'm not interested in that and will never go down that path. Whereas somebody else might be only too interested in that and they'll be tempted by it. So they are trials really. They are trials of our faith. And the trial of our faith worketh patience. They are trials of our faith. But our prayer is, Lord, don't lead me into trials, but deliver me from evil. Help me to avoid those circumstances. Lead my, my feet in paths that avoid the circumstances that will put me in situations where the, the wickedness of my heart will draw me into uncleanness or into sin. And again, our desire is not so much to say before the Lord that you are going to pick on me and put me in a temptation. It is more to say, Lord, Help me to avoid those situations. Help me to see them coming. Help me to avoid situations where I might be tempted. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And finally, the regality. The regality for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The kingdom is not mine. And the power is not mine. This is the issue, isn't it? The power to, to overcome sin. The power uh, to, to uh, have no debts before God. We don't have that power. We've already failed. We've already come short of the glory of God. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. And thine is the glory. And God is that great regal king who is able to deliver us. And our prayer as we come before him is, Lord, give us and deliver us and help us to worship and to walk in righteousness and know the blessings of the Lord. And we give thee all of the glory. This is the prayer then of a prayer meeting. And this is a prayer even in our quiet place. Although uh, our prayers may come in the quiet place, before the Lord, more around the give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, because those are the things which so often are private to us and need to come before the Lord in prayer. But nevertheless, in all of these things, let us honor Him and recognize who He is and His power and what He is able to do for us. And then finally, I just wanted to mention this last verse here, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The distinction in this prayer. This is the thing which Christ picks out of the prayer. It has to be interesting to us, surely. It has to uh, pique our interest when we, when we consider of all these things that Jesus has just mentioned in this prayer that he should say, For... If you forgive men their... It's not even the last thing you just said. The last thing you just said is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And yet from the middle, he picks this out and he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, 
And so what is it that he is getting at here? It is our communion once again with those who are around us, our fellowship. And it has a pertinence to this prayer because this prayer is the, the prayer of, com- of community. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, in the plural. And as, as we are gathered together, Jesus makes mention of this on a number of occasions in this very Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at some of these before, but just uh, the one that comes to my view at this moment is in verse 44. It says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So what is the Lord saying? The Lord says, Be aware of those around you when you come before me. Recognize that I am to you what ye ought to be to everyone else. Remember that I am a God of grace. Be gracious. I am a God of forgiveness. Be forgiving. I am a God of mercy. Be merciful. Walk in my will. Walk in my righteousness. Be delivered from evil. And it's interesting, often uh, when the, the law is mentioned in the New Testament, it's the second table of the law that's mentioned, uh, where it says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. This is the part of the law which is repeated over and over in the New Testament. When the rich young ruler came and said, Lord, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said, You know the law. Honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he said, all of these have I done from my youth up. Jesus says, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor and take up thy cross and follow me. But again and again, it is this communion, this fellowship that we have together. It's very important that we are one in Christ to honor him. This is the distinction which Jesus picks out of the prayer. So whether it be the prayer of the closet or the prayer of the community, let us remember to have this grace one toward another. And let us pray one for another. And let us honour the Lord who has called us to a kingdom and a community.